Hello, may I welcome you to episode 4 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or worked in the case of some of my future guests in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. It was great to meet my guest for the first time, even if it was virtual over Zoom. My guest this episode is Jeff Archer from PW Archer & Son who are based in North Allerton, North Yorkshire. I found it fascinating, chewing the fat as they say, talking about a company that this year celebrates 100 years in business. Do enjoy this trip down memory lane. Jeff, hello. Welcome to Moving Matters Podcast. How are you today? I'm all right, Colin. Thank you very much for having me along. Absolute pleasure. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself and the length of time in this industry? Uh, well, I'm Jeff Archer, fourth generation, family firm. I've been back in the industry uh, since 2004. When I say back, we weren't allowed to start in the industry. I know a lot of people, family firms, and a family firm that moved straight into the firm, um, right through the generations, we had to go and get a job uh, and work our way up that job till we got to a certain level that then we could come back. So I went out and I was a trade mechanic and then I became a service manager. And then from there, I came back to the company in 2004 with my worldly experience of work. And I think the great push was through the generations was that none of us in theory had it handed on a, you know, on a silver spoon. We had to work for it and know what work was. So was it always your intention to come back? No, like a lot of things, um, if anyone's experienced a family firm, they'll know what I'm saying. It's right through your life as a child and that the family firm is, is all around you. Work doesn't switch off. Sunday lunch, it's work. Out Saturdays, it's work. It's always talking about work. And it wasn't, no. It was only when I got to, to up the, uh, like a service manager and that, it sort of clicked on me when I was working for someone else thinking, hang on why don't I do this back with the family and, and take some of the rewards, some of the risk and reward myself. And when it was talked over with the family, I came back. My brother had come back a couple of years before. In fact, my brother's been unlucky because he was one of the first we made redundant once. In the 90s, uh, when there was a big, the one of the recessions, he was the driver and he went, he was let go. Wow. You know, so we're quite fair. We'll treat everyone the same. But, you know, and he'd come back and then I, I followed him, you know, I followed him back to to give my father a hand. And from there, we, we just carried on. So when you came back, did you come back straight onto the vans or in the office doing no, the sales? No, do- well, I came back on an engineering. We, we, we had an engineering company. I came back through my mechanical background what involved as well going out on the vans when there was we needed extra lads i would go out and do some work and then he went to answering the phone and then one day we were all sat and the bank rang 
as they do on their yearly review and says, uh, can we come and see you? And then says, have you thought about getting a, a business consultant in? Now, talking to my father at the time, talking to him about a business consultant was like asking him to go and ride a motorbike. So we got one in and they looked at the business and said, why are you engineering? You should be swapping roles. The young person should be out getting the work. And it sort of coincided when all framework agreements came. And obviously, we got into the, on the commercial side, it'd gone from, you've we've worked for you for 40 years. You know, he's a framework agreement. You've got to apply for it. Uh, and my father, he says, I'm just not interested. I'm not interested in filling the yellow pages out. You know, for, we're either good enough to work for you or we're not good enough to work for you. So then that's when I was sort of drafted in. And the rest, as I say, is history. And then my father just steadily stood back. The engineering slowed down. Someone wanted to rent a shed, so we we rent the shed out to them now. Uh, and then removals took over, took over again for me anyway, and, and we are where we are today. So tell me a little more about PW Archer and Son. What services do they offer uh, when did they start? 19, because I I, yeah. I see that there's you know a centenary coming yeah, up. Yeah, we're a hundred. Well, we were hundred in May. We started in 1920. Ironically, one of the things my great granddad Percy did, they used to go to Darlington and buy ice, and then drive to North Allerton and go and deliver it and sell it to butchers and ice cream parlors and anywhere who wanted to buy ice. Wow. And then the haulage started as well. Cost were, it's, it's, I suppose, same as modern day. They had a van. Can you move this? Oh, right. Oh, there's a bit of money to be made here. We'll do that. Then they got a flatbed truck. One of his friends, I think, they, they ended up with a quarry. They had a flatbed out of a quarry. Then someone says, you've got a flatbed. Can you take some rubbish away? So we had a rubbish round in the 20s. And it went from there. Uh, went through the 20s. We survived the war. Second World War, you know, and it, it just grew. And then in 1946, it saw us be, become a limited company with my granddad, JB. He was the son at the time, and, and he went from there. And But then not long after that, of course, nationalisation came along. So we lost our haulage fleet. And that was took office by the government, but removals were exempt. So that's how the removal started being growing up. Because removals didn't weren't nationalised, so obviously my granddad and that they cracked on with removals. But they were the days you'd go to London and back in the day in an old Bedford, they'd think nothing of it. Can't do that today. No, no. I, well, in fact, about two years ago, we moved an old member of staff, and he was telling you know, and he used to tell us stories about it. They would go to London, and they had a list of other removal companies down there. Would they go and see to see if there was any loads to come back? So his job, they'll drive to London, drop the furniture off. And then his job was to drive around all the removal companies who they knew. They all had contacts. Is there anything going back north? Yes, there is. Load it and turn around and come home. Wow. So the company was started by Percy William Archer. Yeah. And Horace. Horace is his brother, yes. And I discovered this because I fortunately have in front of me a wonderful book called Pantechnican, which I will plug at the end of the podcast. Archers feature on page 63 of said book. Yeah, yeah. Where there is a superb black and white photo of a fleet of Archers vehicles outside 
their furniture gallery and auctioneers. Yeah. Yeah, it was I think it was glory days. I think I think it was glory days for transport though, wasn't it? It it but it's easy to sit back and be nostalgic about it now, isn't it? But really, did you want to be driving one of them wagons with big gloves on and three hundred blankets round here and sleeping in the back on the blankets or on the customer's mattress or on the sofa? You know, was it that, you know, glamorous? Trust me, Jeff, I've never done a removal in my life and I'm never likely to. <laughs> I've been in this industry since 1986 and the one thing I'm never going to do is a removal. removal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with it being 100 years, do you have any celebratory plans? We did. And obvious reasons, we never followed through. We had a few ideas and to be honest, everything got put on the back burner. Like a lot of companies now, we... We gave some money to some charities. We gave some hundred pounds out, ironically. Pound for every year we were in business, some local charities. We did a bit of work pre-pandemic for some local charities. We thought about having a big family day. But as I say, that's just been knocked on the head, to be honest. Is it something that you may do later on in the year or maybe postponed till next year? We may do it next year, but I don't know. I I, I just don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I would like to think, yes, we will, but we'll have to watch this space. So during these hundred years, what challenges have you and your forefathers had to overcome? Well, I would think the big one for, 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 for Percy would be the war. We have photographs of our people working in the war. We can tell it's the war because you've got the headlight masks and all the wings are painted white on the edges. My granddad, JB, he was a trained welder, so he was protected occupation, and he was also a part-time fireman on the fire watch. So they had, and he did some work for uh, the Road Haulage Association through the war. My granddad and my granddad were very big into organisations ranging from, obviously, RHA, and right through to like the Rotary Club locally in the hospitals. And I would think that would be a massive challenge. You know, we've had the virus, but the virus was everywhere, I suppose, but no one was dropping anything on us, were they? You know, we had a chance to protect ourselves. And I would think in transport that would be. And then coming through, obviously, nationalisation, I can't imagine being in charge of a company and someone walking through that door and saying, right, your company is going to be cut by two-thirds on Monday. You know, I can't imagine that. And then from my living memory, I think the biggest thing was uh, the Black Wednesday in the in the 90s when one of our biggest companies, York Trailers, who I think everyone knows about York Trailers, they went bankrupt and they owed us a lot of money because we used to deliver brand new trailers for them. And that led to my brother obviously leaving the company. He had to go. We had no work for him. And that was a... Ch- I do remember that actually as a as a... You know, as, as a 16, 17-year-old, I, I just remember the impact of my dad and a, a lad who worked for us. They were, became agency drivers. They got a job driving agency for Safeways and Tesco's and Presto's at the time. You know, and it was it was quite strange. You know, you're sat in a home, you know, sat at home, and your, your dad's going out to drive wagons for an agency to keep people employed in this business. And, and that would be a challenge. And I, Pride had no place in it. People talk about, oh, I'm too proud to do that. You won't get me on the Tesco's checkout, for example. But 
at the end of the day, you've got to do what you've got to do if you want that family to family firm, especially to survive. And that, that would be hard. Absolutely. Very hard indeed. If you could change anything from the past, what would it be? If I could change anything, I think from in a company wise, I would think I would like to say we wouldn't have chopped all the wagons up. We wouldn't watch a, a scrap man chop the bodies up and stack them three high and drive off to Middlesbrough with them. But I think one of it was I wouldn't add the property. I wouldn't have sold a lot of the property off as we did, in this, you know, and, and got rid of some property, maybe kept it. But then what decisions were made then would be right for the time. You, you, you know, it's quite hard to say what you would change. I think, you know, because you don't know in them circumstances. You know, I'd like to think there's always always something you'll change. And I think the big thing would be chopping, not chopping the wagons up. Knowing what old wagons are now, that we go out searching for old wagons that we had, thinking we could have had them. Do you have any old wagons? Yeah, we have a few, yeah. We we have a few, yeah, in a private collection, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we're into old stuff. Uh, the problem, I think a lot of people will say, the, our our depot here, the, the yard here, has a big old workshop still, and all we seem to have done with the workshops is fill them full of old stuff, you know, or, or a couple of old, like an old Bedford. There's an Atkinson. My brother has an old Atkinson under restoration. I have a few old Citroens sat there. You know, things like that, yeah. So they're not working motors, though? Some are, yeah. Some are, really? yeah. Yeah, some go out. Some go All out. All done up in the archer's livery? One uh, one isn't, because it came, it came and it hasn't been done yet. But yeah, they, they go out, yeah. My dad enjoys driving them around, yeah. Awesome. What one thing would you change within the moving industry? I would, and this is going to be the most controversial thing, and everyone will hug Oh, we like this. controversy. I would bring in tacos and all licenses for anything higher and reward. That's what I would do straight away. And people are going to slag me off. Any, if you're on higher reward, no matter what you do, if you're getting paid to carry that load, you've got to have a taco and you've got to have an operator's license. Simple as that. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and if we that, that would then, everyone's saying, oh, but, but the only people who don't want it and I know there's people in the industry that were running round in vans, they run round on tacos and the wagons, but they're only using vans because you see them, they'll drive from North Yorkshire to London and back, or they'll go to Brighton and back in a day, 10, 12 hours driving, and we're never going to compete with that. If you've got a, a, a true size removal van, you're never going to compete with that. If it's for us to go to Devon, it could be four or five days by the time, you know, with the loading, unloading, getting back, we can get to Exeter. We can just get to Exeter from here in one run in a in a HEV. But then the people, the low loaders, they'll get right down to Cornwall, unload, and they'll be back. So, you, you know, I'd, and that is one thing. And I hope with uh, technology advance on remote tacos, on things like that, digital tacos remotely downloaded, this will happen. I, I do hope it happens. I hope so too. How difficult is it to find a driver these days, though? Because obviously, for the long wheelbase vans, you don't need any more than a driving license, depending on your age. Exactly, but, but shouldn't it gets back to us investing in the staff, looking after the staff? I see it all the time people say, "Blooming porters, all our all our porters are long term, long term." The last porter that left us had been with us forty two years. 
and he retired. You know, the port is with us now. The, the I have two who have who, who started on ad hoc. I call it ad hoc, not zero hours, because we, we still pay them. They're on the books. If they don't want to work, they don't come in. But they've been in full time a couple of years now, right through furlough. We sorted them out. And if you look after your staff, it's not just the payment, it's how you look after them. If you look after your staff, you shouldn't have a problem. And they won't take the mick. Yeah, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a good day. But they won't take the mick if you don't take the mick out of them. You know, I know removal companies are bringing porters in, then the job's called off, so they send them home. Don't pay them. Well, they're not going to have any loyalty, are they? No, and I take it then with your porters, if they wanted to become drivers, you would then send them through the training into HGV yeah. drivers. Yeah, I have and... one now, drive seven and a half tonner. He don't want to do it. He don't want to go to to HGV two. He Why? doesn't want it. He just doesn't want it. He's 52 and he just says, I don't want it. I says, fair enough. Uh, I have a, a lady porter, a, a lass who works for us. She's worked a good few years for us now. She's interested, so it looks like she'll go through and do HGV. That's interesting. An old boss of mine, John McGinty, previously of Alton Moose Group, used to always say, you can take a porter and turn him into a driver, but you cannot take a driver and turn him into a porter. Yeah, some don't. Eh? I think the difference is nowadays r- drivers have changed, haven't they? Not in so, you know, driving, driving has changed. In the olden days, whether it was haulage or removals, there was a lot of manhandling about. There was a, it was a very physical job anyway. And I think now as things have moved on, rightly so, I suppose, for health and safety, that there's less and less manhandling. And let's face it, yeah, why would anyone want to be a removal man when they can go to Aldi and stack a shelf? Or drive for Tesco's drive- and drive an articulated lorry yeah. to the distribution centre, have it loaded for you, drive it to the stores, yeah. have it unloaded. Yeah. yeah, exactly the same. But yeah, and I think this gets back down. We We must be getting to an age now where the... The people with driving licenses to drive seven and a half tonners is less and less anywhere. We we, yeah. we must be coming to that saturation point. So it's just going to be investing in your business. Investing in staff is going to be no different to investing in a brand new flashy truck. There's no point having a tr- flashy truck if you don't invest in the driver to drive it. This is very true. So, Jeff, what is your high point of being in this industry? My high point, personally, for me, was when we got our first framework contract. It was it. It was the first time, as a, a, a small company, that we had to do a framework contract. We didn't even know what a um, there was an ITT invitation to tender. There's a pre-qualification questionnaire. That was it. We'd never done anything like that. We'd never ever. And that's why my father said he wasn't interested. He passed it to me, and this this big document ended up on my desk. And it was like, well, where do I start? And we just worked through it. We we just worked through it. I managed to find, luckily through some work we'd done and moving people, I knew someone who'd done some. I came across a man who'd done it on, on motorways, nothing to do with furniture removals, but done these this sort of framework on motorways, maintenance. So he came in, he helped us out. We did it uh, and we were chosen along with uh, a famous other uh, office moving company, National we used to have green and I think it was green and red wagons with swans or something flying up the side. And and we did it. And that was a very proud moment to realise that a small company our size could actually compete and get a framework agreement. Now, I believe 
You have just joined the board of the Commercial Moving Group. What made you join the board? During lockdown, Nigel, who you had on before, he's a, he was he sort of already spoke to me a few times about it, and a few others had spoke to me about it. And during lockdown, uh, there was me and another company. We were very vocal about obviously the lockdown and what was happening with removal companies, and how at some points we maybe thought we weren't getting the support we should be, you know, and. And I still feel strongly through that period, we did miss a chance. We did miss a chance. We caught up a bit, but we missed one chance where we could have changed the world. And it was it was basically, you can shout all day long. And, and what I used to say, it's a bit like being at a party. If you get invited to a party at a house and you say, I'm not going, but the noise is too loud, the music's too loud, you can't turn it down from the outside. But if you're inside that party, you can go and unplug it. <laughs> so your voice is heard and I, I just think you just need to be if you're gonna if you're gonna get something to work for you get the full benefit and true Yorkshireman I'm not going to spend this money to be a member of CMG to be a member of bar if I can't try to get the full value for money out of it and that includes either promoting our membership of it you know come to us because we are this we are that but also to get me foot in the party, just saying, look, we are a small company, but we can bat with the big boys. The big boys don't have to be have all the fun on the CMG, all the fun in bar. The small people can have a voice. Let's, you know, let, use that voice. But you've got to be willing to stand, haven't you? If you don't stand, you can't shout. And that, and that's basically what I do. Dead right. And the big boys, as such, were little boys. At one point. At one point, yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't got any, don't get me wrong, there's no ideas of grandeur. We're quite happy here. We'd be a rare company. We only do five days a week. Uh, <laughs> as, as my dad said, even donkeys have a day off. But yeah, we don't do Saturdays and Sundays. Don't get me wrong, if a, if one of our commercial contractors do, do say, can you come in? We come in, but very rarely. Because as soon as you tell them what the rate is for a Saturday and Sunday, they suddenly realise that actually it's cheaper on a Monday. <laughs> but yeah that's how we do it and i see you are a member of simply shredding how do you find the shredding industry as a whole because i see many companies now getting into the shredding side you often see removal companies getting into things like self-storage or document storage and then all of a sudden it's now let's do shredding well, shredding's the, the next step along, isn't it, really? Because as we know, everything's going cloud, everything's going digital. GDPR was a big help. And what we were found is there was an opening for shredding. We then went to the Simply Shredding because they already had a name. Uh, and that's how we started. So we, we actually, in true Archer fashion, I suppose, we jumped in both feet straight away. We didn't We didn't mess about. We've bought a shredder. We have a shredder on site. We bail on site. We got the British standard for shredding. We we did that as well. We didn't mess about because we were very conscious that as a for our customers, we sell a service on based on family, based on quality, based on we will deliver, and we had to shred that paper ourselves. It can be cutthroat. Uh, you think removals is cutthroat. The recycling industry, I'm finding, is very cutthroat because it all depends on the end cost, how much paper's selling for. And then if it's selling for high price, everyone will go and pick it up for nothing. They'll shred for nothing because they're getting high price. 
But when the price drops, no one wants to shred. So what we say, we keep a continual price on the cost. And when the price drops, we'll be still there. We'll still go and pick it up. You know, but it is. Same on the domestic side. You get a domestic customer. Oh, I've got all this paperwork here. I've got to sort it out. Oh, well, I'll give you a shredding bag. You know, do you want to buy, you know, we'll do this. And we get a bit of trade that way as well. And do you give them the shredding bag or do you sell so, them the shredding bag? Some customers, we, we give them just a bit of a enticement to get the job. Yeah, it's, and it's a, good, it's a good enticement. Yeah, and then a lot of time we just sell it because if they've got one, they're going to need another one. So the second one they buy, and it, it's all right, yeah. And when the lads, if the lads get in at four o'clock in the afternoon, there's an hour left, crack on, get some shredding done. You know, get an hour shredding. You know, you'll you'll get nearly half a ton, a ton done in an hour. You know. So, so do you have the terminals installed in clients' sites yeah, as well? We have in on the the, yeah, yeah, we have some terminals out now. We have consoles and wheelie bins are out now in sites, yeah. And we do a monthly collection. We try to pride ourselves on non-complicated, simple contracts. It's simple pricing. You want your bin empty and it will be emptied on that day. Jeff, you're in the removal industry. We don't do simple pricing. Well, no, we try, yeah. <laughs> but we, we try to keep it simple, you know, and it does work. And we sell it on the brand, obviously, the Simple Shredding and of us being a 100-year-old family company, and, and it seems to work. So what advice would you give to a young Jeff just starting out in the industry? Confidence. Be confident. Uh, be more, believe more in yourself, I would say. And believe more in your prices. It took me a few years to stop worrying about other people's prices. Don't worry what other people are doing the job for. Worry about what you're doing the job. And as, as my dad and my granddad used to say, if you go home smiling and you sit at that table think, I've done a good day's work. You know, I've got good money for that good day's work. You're right. You don't want to go home going, oh, I've lost a load of money. You know, but be more confident in your pricing. And I think that's about it, really. And don't you, you're never gonna you're never gonna compete about with someone who undercuts you because they're always going to undercut you. So there's no point losing sleep over it. I know it's easy to say, but once I learned not to lose sleep, that was the the big thing for myself. Isn't it also a case of you know if you if your local competitor is a lot cheaper than you, then yeah, give them the job because if they've got the job, that's one of their trucks full. Yeah. They can't compete on other jobs. Exactly. You know, depending yeah. obviously on no, how many right. trucks they yeah, have. But you're, you're, you're right. Because you normally find when everyone starts cutting the price, no one wins, the customer wins. But also sometimes that customer is a customer you don't want anyway. You know, it's a it's a pond that you don't necessarily need to fish in. You know, and and just sell on price. Sell on service, give the price, the best price you can. If someone rings us and says, oh, yeah, I want you. This week it happened, actually. I priced a job up and the lad says, oh, really impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My problem is you're £150 more than someone else. What can I do? What can we do? I says, well, there's only one thing you can do. I says, is pay £150 and, and we'll do the job. And he sort of caught me at the wrong time. And I suppose this is a beauty of being your name above the door as a family firm, you can get away with saying things like that because you know you're not going to get sacked. And you've got to be <laughs> full repercussions. Full repercussion of that action is on you, isn't it? You can't 
But I was just sick of it. I was just sick of it. And he says, you know, he says, what? I says, yeah, pay the £150. If, you, if you're happy with us, pay that money. And the, that's how you'll get us to move you. And, uh, well, I've never heard of him again, so I've probably lost that job. Uh, but that's, uh, there's no point. Our great believer, salesmen come in the door and they'll say, I say, right, give me your best price. And they'll give me a price. And I say, oh, I'm not interested. Oh, well, ah, well, yeah, I'll knock another 150 quid, 200 quid off. Well, no, why didn't you do that in the first place? That's not your best price then, is it? As me and another lad were saying, I can't, it was the other day, he says, give us your best price. I says, yeah, my best price is £2,000, not the 1500 quid I've quoted you. <laughs> you, you, you know, it, our great believer is give him a good price to start with, show why you value for money, show the extras, show what you've got, show your bar membership. People will slag bar off, bar members slag bar off. You're not getting anything out of bar. And I was a bit like that before we rejoined. But they've got approved code of conduct. They've got the approved, you know, the trading standards approved code. Push that to the customer. Mention to the customer that. Get the customer questioning the other people. Why aren't you a member? Why haven't you got a trading standards approved code? You know, it's bits like that. You only can get, you know, push all that. And then why are you now 150? Oh, I can see why you're 150 pound more. I'm going to go with you because you, you care what you're doing. You know, you're protecting us. And that's that's one thing. Yeah. It gets back to the confidence, as we said. The confidence to believe in it. And that's what I was lacking, I think. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? Is anybody ready to step into your business shoes and take over the reins? Well, I've got a 13-year-old, a 13-year-old son. And but like it'd be like every other 13-year-old at the moment, the only shoes he wants to step into is some on Fortnite. <laughs> yeah no I, I honestly don't know things have changed it's a discussion it's funny discussions we've had before not necessarily with my son with other companies what would you do now with your son would you say to him go out and get a job somewhere else you know because i look at people i went to school with now who are working for someone else they get a holiday when they want one they get in a pension don't get me wrong, I've got a pension, I do get a holiday, but they're not going home. If if that job's not done at five o'clock, they go home, where well, we don't go home. But I'd just like to give him the choice. He's there, and if he says, yeah, I'll come and have a go, I would think now, because education's changed, get him on a business studies course, get him on the trucks, get him learning the business from the bottom, and then he can make a decision what he wants to do. You know we have a history of being 70, 80 before we leave this industry. My father's 70, yeah, I don't know now, but 77. And he's still involved one, two days a week. You know, my granddad, he was he was early 80s when he, he stopped. You know, so there is a history of old age. You know, so we'll see. So your, your son has many more years of Fortnite ahead he of him. Has, he, yeah, he has a lot of 14 years, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off then, Jeff? Um I'd I have an interest in French cars. Um two CVs. Hence you mentioned Citroen earlier. Citroens, yeah, I have an interest in two CVs. Yeah, I have a, a, a few. Do you uh, race them? It's funny you should say that. I'm just going but I'm mechanic. Um I used to be involved in building them. I'm a mechanic. I do the mechanicing of a, a race team. I'm going back to the 24-hour race in August bank holiday. 
It's Snetterton. Uh, wow. They asked me to, they asked me if I'd dust me dust coat off and overalls and get me spanners back out to go back and do some mechanicking. Um, it's a switch off, totally different to removals, totally different mechanicking. Uh, and racing, whether you're racing Formula One, racing two CVs, it, it, it's still a, a buzz. Uh, some of my friends say it's a sad buzz, but it's still a buzz and I, I enjoy going, yeah. So do you actually race yours no, or are you just mechanic? I'm mechanic uh, as a As a friend of mine who does race and is very successful, he says, Jeff, you couldn't drive a, uh, uh, pardon the expression, a poo would stick up a dog's ass." <laughs> and he was quite right to be brutally honest uh, I'm a bit like a lot of them I think yeah I think I can drive but actually I can't not not a racing car anyway so do you have any like really old 2CVs My any classics one is 54. I have a 54 2CV van and I've got a 63 Citroen H van do you take them to shows no time no time. And they're the back of the shed. I can't get them out. <laughs> oh, it's that time thing again. Yeah, it's just time. It's time. I've got a VW camper. I got a VW camper in 2000 and whenever. 11, 10, 11, I think it was. And me and my mates, we go off sometimes on where well, we were going off on the odd weekend. A bit of a lad's weekend in them. But that's about it, really. It's time. It's time. And then obviously you've got your son's hobbies involved. He plays a bit of football. He's a good runner. Anyone who has a, a child involved in football knows what that does on a Saturday and Sunday. You know, traipsing yep. around everywhere. So finally, Jeff, I like to end my podcast with a funny, moving story. Do you have one to tell well, our listeners? There's, yeah, it's, there's, there's all sorts, I suppose. There's a lot you can't repeat because it involves customers. and not, Nothing will be as good as Nigel's cat. There's a, I always remember this one of my, a bit of folklore in the company. Um, a driver always said, a driver actually was, said to my granddad once, how do I get somewhere? My granddad says, go to Scotch Corner and take a run at it. So the driver took went to Scotch Corner, rung up, he says, I'm here, where do I go now? And he says, leave the keys in the ignition and you're finished. <laughs> yeah. I was, in recent one, uh, and it's not very good for a removal man, I suppose, and I, I've been involved twice in it. We had to do a small job down to um, Norwich, Norwich area, Norfolk. And I, was, and I don't know how we did it. This was pre, when everything, when my dad was running, right, and everyone did then, everything was written down. There was no sat-nav. You didn't have sat-nav. You had an A to Z, a map book. A postcode didn't matter. No one had a postcode. It didn't matter because what was the good was the postcode because your A to Z and your map book. Anyway, me, we got this address and me and... Me and the lads set off. Me and James set off down to down to Norfolk. We got to this village, but I can't remember the name of the village. It was like a, 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 a double-barrel village, but we didn't know there was two villages, and they were near enough the same name. But to make it worse, there was two of the same streets. Two of the same streets. You would never make it up. It was like Smith Street. This village had two a Smith Street in each. Anyway, we went to this house with this furniture. Knocked on the door and says, "Oh, hello, Mister Mister Smith. Your your furniture's here." And this bloke comes out. I don't know. He looks a bit of a tramp, really. And I'm thinking, "Well, this doesn't look like the sort of person we normally, you know, would have this furniture." And he just <laughs> looked us up and down. He says, "What are you on about?" I said, "We brought your furniture." No, not brought my furniture. And he went on. 
Well, we have. We've brought you furniture. Are you sure there's no one here? No. Anyway, so we went back, found a mobile signal, because then it would only be, it wouldn't even be 3G, was it? Found a mobile signal and rung up. Are you sure? And then we found a postman. He says, we're looking for this address. He says, oh, no, you're at wrong village, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it's twice happened because I've done the same twice. I went to another, and I said to a lad, "Yeah, I know where I'm going." As a typical, I suppose, as as you do. Yeah, I know where we're going. We're going down here. Knocked on, here. It is thirty-seven. Knocked on the door. Knocked on the door. No one in. No one in. Knocked on the door. I said, hey. "So we come back." It was luckily it was only just a, not far from here. Come back, and I says, "There's no one in." Sat down. Phone rings. Where are you? I said, I've been knocked on the door and I've got, I got Crescent and Close mixed up, Anna. And I've, <laughs> you know, and it, the, the thing is with furniture removals, funny stories, just, it's just the little things you sometimes don't forget until someone, when you try to remember them, you can't remember them. But you could be out with a lad one day driving in and say, do you remember when we did that or when you did that? And and you just think, you say, you it's like when you're surveying and you go around and the the funny things is everyone leaves or you move a bed. My missus cringes when you say, James will come in. I didn't want to strip that bed down. And it just, just things that are left, you know, ashes. I remember coming across someone's ashes. I tripped over a box on a house survey. A, a, no. And I didn't know what it was. I walked in, just in, as you're walking around your clipboard. It was years ago. And I, I tripped over and she said, you all right? And I says, yeah, he I says, I don't know what I did. She says, oh, don't worry, it's only Steve. <laughs> and I, what? And I, I thought, oh, look for a cat, don't you, a cat or a dog? And then on oh. the floor, she says, oh, I don't know what to do with him. I use him as a doorstop. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Steve. Yeah, and it, and it's just things like that. You just... It, oh, it's too funny. Yeah, you know, there is funny things, and it's great. It's a great job, and it's... I don't know, we've moved... I think you'll get arrested for it now. And I, and I think... <laughs> I think what, Be careful then, Jeff. Yeah, Be no, careful. What people remember, when I was apprentice, um, when you were a young lad, you were the butt of all jokes, weren't you? You were the butt, your, your long stands, your tartan paint, left-handed screwdrivers, go for a sky hook. <laughs> go and ask the customer for something stupid. It was normal, I, I suppose. Any, and I don't think kids or young people will ever have that again because now it'd be classed as bully i suppose not class it was bullying us to us but everyone's different now but we accidentally we we did a big commercial job and we it involved packing and in one room we had to be all security checked to go in well we had this lad on he hadn't been with us long and we put him in this room we put right go into this room and we'd already been warned, when you pack the files, make sure none fall open. Just make sure whatever you do, if they're going in the wrong order, we're not bothered. Just make sure none fall open. And the, the women are in there. The women are in there as well. They'll supervise. You only need one. So we left the young lad. He was not been with us long. So we're all lifting stuff. We just left him in there. Well, they had his life. <laughs> they had his life. And and he came out and he was like he was traumatized. He was he was traumatized. What's wrong? He says I'm not going in there again. And, it, <laughs> and the, the department would put him in were 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 would were used to dealing with like uh, horrible cases, just horrible things. And and I think that gave them a, a bit of a 
a macabre or a, I think to get through it, they just had a strange sense of humour. And they just had his life. They, <laughs> not in a horrible way, but they just, they just wind him up and that. And he came out and he was pale. He just was pale. You know, and it's funny now. And he was funny at the time. We were just laughing. And then I saw him. Unluckily, when the job finished, we couldn't keep him on. We didn't have enough work. We took a lot of extra staff on for that job. We didn't have enough work. And and what, we tried to treat everyone like a family. And then he was only 17. And I rang round a lot of companies we knew, not necessarily removal companies, trying to find him work. And we were unsuccessful. And it always, I always like to think we did try. And he still remembers it when we're seeing him. And uh, before the lockdown, I bumped into him and he, he recounted the story. He, he still remembered the story of being locked in. And he, he nice. called me a, a horrible word. He said, I still <laughs> remember when you're locked in. And I think that's half of it being a family firm. Get back to being a family firm is that when you see ex-staff members, they come and talk to you. Even young lads. I remember a young lad got a job. A, a young lad, a young lad came for a job. It was pouring down. It was pouring down. And he came through an agency, not an employment agency, one of these uh, agencies trying to get unemployed to work. And they rang up and I says, look, they'd already sent me one. I says, how can you send a lad in jogging bottoms? You know what I mean? You're in jogging bottoms. You come for a job. And I used to say, has your mum brought you? Yeah. So have you come by yourself? Or has your mum brought you to make sure you come here? Oh, so I turned up. Well, I'm not interested, mate. You know, sit here for five minutes, pretend you've had a chat and go. You know, and this lad turned up one day. I'd already said to him, don't send it. And it was pouring down. And it looked like it, and I felt sorry for him. It looked like it turned up. It turned up in a suit. And I had all utmost respect for him. I don't know where he got the suit from. It didn't fit him, but it was a drowned <laughs> rat. It was it was an effort he made, and he'd come on a push bike on the most rainiest. I says, "What are you doing, mate?" I've wow! And I says, "You didn't have to. Why didn't you ring me?" Oh no, no. Anyway, I got talking to him, and he had never ever found a place. He'd never. And then I, I, I saw his DBS, yeah, and I realised why. But he just never found any. He was a practical person, so we gave him a trial. It didn't work out for no other reason. We couldn't slow him down. He just everything was five hundred mile an hour. Look, you ca- you can't just take a breath, slow. You don't need to impress us. You've got you've got a way in, and he just couldn't. And I rang round for him. I rang round trying to find him a job in a factory. He'd be ideal in a factory, and I think he got one in the end. I'd, we gave him references. He was no. He was never going to be a furniture van man. He just he just wasn't going to be a part. And he still sees us, and he still calls me Mr. Archer. And he, whenever you see him, and no one would ever give him a chance. You know, he was one of them lads that he just needed one person. And I would like to think I was one person who'd helped him, you know, get that. And, and as a family firm, we go out our way, treat people like family. And all the workers, as soon as furlough finished, we brought them back straight away. We got work for them. We said it's not going to be easy. We're just going, oh, yeah, no problem at all. You know, and, and and we never lost anyone. Excellent. Jeff, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been great finding out about PW Archers. Your stories are hilarious. I truly thank you for your time. No problem, Colin. It's a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Look after yourself.
I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 4 of Moving Matters. If you did, then please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters, which they can listen to on their podcast player of choice. And please, if you can, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. My thanks and appreciation go to Jeff Archer for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Jeff. If you would like to know more about P.W. Archer & Son and the services they offer, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode or on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk or send me a tweet at movingmatterspc. As mentioned earlier in the podcast, I was fortunate to have a book called Pantechnicon, which the front cover says, A History of Removals and Storage Through the Evolution of Its Vehicles. Produced by the British Association of Removers, it is truly a great book, packed with tons of photographs. Pantechnicon is available for a mere £20, with all proceeds going to the Removers Benevolent Association, a great charity and the only one dedicated to the removals and storage industry, which has helped many removal folk in the past and continues to do so. A subject you will hear more about in a forthcoming episode where my guest will be none other than Paul Bullock of PHS Tea Crate. To order your copy of Pantechnicon, simply email membershipservices at bar.co.uk and tell the Moving Matters podcast recommended it. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.